Something has changed around dinner time at my house. Since we're all staying home now, I'm planning meals and cooking in the time that I'd normally spend traveling to and from work. I mean, I love to eat, so there's a real tangible benefit to this. But there's something else to it. That time, cooking and eating, has become the best part of my day. There's a certainty to cutting vegetables, a simplicity to boiling beans. It's a bit of the world that I can anticipate and control. My household is eating together a lot more too. That's not exactly normal. Normally, we're all going off in different directions. So it's got me wondering, is it possible that in this one little way, we've gone beyond normal? Beyond Normal explores what it takes to cultivate and maintain our well-being in this time of national and global crisis. My name is Amy Conger. In this podcast, my team and I are going to bring you conversations with thought leaders from different facets of health and well-being. The goal is to better understand what it takes to be well in today's world. And right now, eating has changed. I've heard some people voicing frustrations that they can't eat in restaurants right now while others are more worried about the availability of certain foods in the grocery stores or being able to afford food at all. Still others are getting into baking, like really into baking. A friend of mine recently told me that she ordered 50 pounds of flour to support her new bread habit. Moderate drinkers are stacking up boxes of wine and health nuts are developing a Cheetos addiction. I'm certainly eating a lot more sugar than feels good. I think it's fascinating how many of us have taken our rhythms and routines around eating for granted. But now a lot of us are making changes, for the better or for the worse. So that's why I want to talk about food today. It turns out that how we eat affects nearly every other aspect of our lives. Carolyn Denton is just the person to talk to about this. She's a licensed nutritionist who teaches people to see connections between how they eat and how they feel. Carolyn believes that what and how we eat is a natural solution to restoring balance. She holds a master's degree in nutrition with an emphasis on aging and chronic diseases. She teaches functional nutrition at the University of Minnesota and is a co-author of the Chemistry of Joy workbook. Carolyn Denton has a private practice with Partners in Resilience and is a founding member of the Integrative Medicine Team at the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing. So glad to have you here today, Carolyn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amy. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, so how are you? How has your life changed during the pandemic? Well, as with everybody, and as you just noted, I think so much of the structure that we were familiar with is gone. You know, how we entertained ourselves, how we interacted, how we moved, you know, how we created, it's all changed. And that's exhausting because everything's new and it takes up a lot of energy. So yeah, I think like you, I, I'm upended. So in your area of expertise, as far as the way that we eat, I find that I'm thinking about food a lot differently now that I'm home all the time. What are you hearing from people? How is the coronavirus situation changing the way that we eat? It seems like in the last month, my sessions with people and even people I know start with a confession. I'm drinking more. I'm eating more sugar. Uh, I had a client yesterday confess that I'm eating bread and not just bread, but white bread, you know, so he was really feeling badly that what's happening is all of our vulnerabilities, our habits are getting amplified. They reemerge, you know, during these times uh, and they kind of start taking center stage 
But also I think a lot of people are kind of fostering the habits that they had. You know, I, I also hear people saying, oh, I'm, I'm cooking more, as you were saying, Amy. I'm baking, I, I'm writing, I'm, you know, doing puzzles. I'm, you know, just being. And I think that we're learning how to be with ourselves and others in this new time. And so we're training for something different. I love that. We're we're learning how to be with ourselves in this new time. That is definitely it. <laughs> I, I'd imagine that both like the, you know, the good and bad habits that stress factors into this quite a bit. How does the way that we eat impact our ability to deal with the stresses that we're encountering right now? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. When the body thinks that there's an emergency, there's a whole slew of things that occur to help us through the emergency. But if we're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, they're not that great. Things like our heart rate, our blood pressure go up. We can't concentrate during stress. We don't digest very well during stress because the body thinks you're fleeing. And so it'd be far too dangerous to stop and eat. Uh, So we don't make those enzymes or those digestive juices the body thinks you're fleeing. So here's where the stress eating comes in. If you were fleeing, you would need a whole lot of glucose to either fight or flee. Uh, And so the body's giving you the message that you should find some more glucose, which always, it's not like your body says, oh, and you'll get some wild rice and we'll convert that slowly and that'll be better. You know, what you're looking for is a cookie or a snack or a chip or, you know, because you do get a quick, quick response from that, but it's not very long lived. And so really my whole philosophy and practice of nutrition centers around the notion that food is information for the body, that no matter what we eat, it's either giving a really positive supporting the function of the body message, or it's kind of sabotaging us in a way or sabotaging that function. An example of that might be sleeping or uh, having a nice calm mood. The same neurotransmitter, serotonin is required for that, those, both of those activities, calm mood, sleep. But in order to make serotonin in the brain, to synthesize that, you need Protein, you need vitamin B6, folic acid, B12, vitamin D, complex carbohydrates, vitamin C, magnesium, uh, protein. And if any one of those pieces of information is missing, then your recipe is not going to be very solid for that making, that synthesizing, that serotonin. So that food being information, and we don't always think of that, especially for mood, but sleep as well, that what we are eating is influencing whether or not we're going to sleep. So I noticed that you didn't say sugar, that your body wants sugar in order to sleep. And that's one thing that I'm really struggling with right now. As you talked about that stress, I think I'm now going to see a little link between reading the New York Times and running to the kitchen for a snack. (laughs) Maybe I'm just trying to soothe some stress that's coming through. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. How can it help to be conscious about what we eat or what kind of things should we be changing right now, thinking about? One of the things that I think is really important, and this is true always, but especially now, keeping and honoring the natural rhythms of the day is very important. 
we have an opportunity to leisurely get up. Maybe we don't have to dash out if you have kids, so they're not running out the door. You know, so you may end up getting busy doing other things because the structure's not there and you might not eat till 11 a.m. and you've been up since 6.30. We might eat late at night because the same kinds of things. We're busy being off schedule. And so we're ending up eating later than, than the body likes. And so if you think about rhythm in terms of eating, we burn most of our calories by about three in the afternoon. In the summer, it could maybe push out till five because that's linked into the circadian rhythms of light and dark, just like going to sleep at night. Our bodies get the cue about digesting and metabolizing. So really, we should be eating most of our food at the front end of the day. That's when your body's utilizing it. And so if we eat too late, closer to sunset, then the body's busy not doing that function. It's getting you ready to go to sleep. So it's making hormones and preparing for restoration and recovery. So creating that structure, I think, becomes very important to the point where, and I have done this for myself, every day I have a little sheet that I print out, you know, because I print things out and I fill it in with the structure of the day, including my meetings, including my conference calls, including when I'm going to go take a walk, when I'm going to eat, what I'm going to eat, because there's some really comfort, I think, in having that structure. That's, again, what we're having to do is put that in. There's nothing better for anxiety than knowing what's coming next. And we just don't have that. We have so little of that. In fact, we have negative information. Sometimes we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold or how it's going to look. So putting in that structure and routine and that grounding is going to reduce our anxiety by many fold. So having that structure for your day helps you kind of know what to anticipate. So you, uh, you, you have a little bit of a structure to lean on as opposed to everything kind of being chaotic. And then if you think about how when you eat fits into that structure, then you can be a little more planful about when that happens. And if I eat earlier in the day, does that help me sleep better at night? Yes, that's a really great observation and link. Absolutely. You know, we are preparing for sleep all day long. Everything we do during the day influences how that is going to work and uh, whether we're going to rest or not. This is an interesting thing. You know, sometimes people, when they wake up in the middle of the night, it's called sleep maintenance. And actually that can be due to your blood sugar dropping. And that's due to eating something carbohydrate rich too late because then your body's on a a new schedule. It's like, oh, are we up? Are we eating? Um, And so it will tap, tap, tap. You know, you should wake up and get something when actually, of course, that's not what's supposed to be happening. So we've gotten off rhythm. Completely experienced that. So really doesn't mean I should eat more before bed. It means that I should eat a little less before bed so I don't get caught in that up and down while I should be sleeping. And if you eat more during, you know, kind of front load the day, you don't have those cravings as much because your body is fulfilled and satisfied. So we've kind of talked about like, you know, when to eat. Uh, What about 
how should we eat? You know, what should we eat? Uh, what What are your advice for people who are staying home and maybe they're not used to cooking? They used to eat out a lot. Or maybe they're just stressing about, you know, getting the food they need. Like, how should we put together a good meal for ourselves during this time? Food is so central to our lives. Everything is associated with some kind of eating. You know, a holiday, you know, we eat. If somebody is sick, we bring them food. Weddings and funerals always have luncheons. You know, uh, I was at a baseball game and this little boy, the, the game hadn't even started. And he had had ice cream in a baseball cap. He'd had cotton candy. He'd had caramel corn. He'd had, you know, s- several other things. And he was asking for whatever was coming down the aisle. And his mother said to him, this is not an eating marathon. And I thought, yeah, it is. You know, it's it's what the game is for him. And I think that's what happens with food. And again, so much of our ease and our celebrations aren't there and our ways of bringing in that food and comfort. I think food has a lot of comfort for us. And comfort is really familiarity. There's consolation. And so I think that we're also looking for that in the ways that we're eating. and But we're having to create that. And I think part of doing that is, again, maybe thinking about what is our biggest meal going to be? You know, starting with that, you know, maybe people can cook once and have three different meals out of that, you know, the next day's lunch and the following day's dinner, you know, so that you can kind of stretch it out and not have to cook so frequently. Another practice is to, and I'm sure many have heard the term batch cooking. If you're going to cook some chicken, you might as well cook lots of chicken. You know, know, your pan is big, put six chicken breasts in there or make all the wild rice and keep it in the refrigerator. So then you can kind of pull from that over the next couple of days? Yeah, I, every, I had started, I did a cooking class with a chef in town who suggested, and I since then have done this, I make a pot of grain every week. Right now, uh, wild rice is in my fridge. So I scramble an egg, I can throw the wild rice in there. I can even get a rotisserie chicken and have wild rice with some, you know, apricot jam mixed with a little cooking wine or something like that in there to mix it just to give it some flavor, you know, so that it's it's ready to go. I have something that I call quinoa eight ways, which is essentially making quinoa, just like I was mentioning with the wild rice, and you've got that in the fridge, and then Maybe you take two cups of that quinoa and you mix it with a can of chickpeas and some shredded carrots and some thyme, some spinach, lemon, and you've got a dish, which is different than uh, mixing it with olive oil and honey and curry and raisins, uh, slivered almonds. You can have a completely different flavor by just having that same kind of plain quinoa but you can dress it up and make it taste so much different than the day before. And it's right there in your refrigerator, ready to go. 
I love that idea. Quinoa, eight ways. I'm going to want some details on that. That sounds really useful. (laughs) It's a way you can kind of utilize that labor over a couple days, but then also keep it interesting because I don't, you know, like we eat a lot of just tacos in our house and it's like, I'm kind of getting sick of of just kind of the same, the beans and the tortilla and that's it. (laughs) And that brings up a great point about flavor. I think flavor is really the interest point of food, you know, and that getting enough spices and herbs and, you know, even what I was saying, you know, if you put curry in it versus uh, thyme versus, you know, something like cilantro, it's going to taste completely different, uh, even though it's the same darn quinoa. I mentioned people who are like staying home and just not used to cooking, people who used to eat out a lot, those like real kind of starter cooks. Do you have any advice for how they can get started? One of the options is actually pre-made frozen dinners. Frozen dinners have come a long way since uh, the Swanson's frozen dinners of my day. Sorry, Swanson's. But that was the only frozen dinner that we would get to have when we had a babysitter or something like that. And now you can get quinoa with lovely hands full of vegetables with uh, a, a good solid protein and they're widely distributed. So a person who doesn't know or have the skill or the interest in cooking could certainly use frozen dinners. So when you talk about frozen ingredients and frozen meals, are like frozen vegetables as nutritious as fresh vegetables? They are. I consider it a kind of good, better, best thing. Obviously, it would be best if you could just go out and pull up radishes or pull up peas or pull up uh, your own vegetables from your garden. But frozen, frozen vegetables may, in some senses, be more nutritious than something that has driven from North Carolina or California to Minnesota, because during that process, it loses some of its nutrient value. When vegetables are frozen, they're usually flash frozen right on site where they're picked. So they don't have time to lose some of that value. The other thing that I would recommend to those people who their skill level is maybe not as honed as others, but even for people who do have skill, but also are on a budget or can't run out to the grocery store for all the ingredients in a particular uh, curry dish that they would normally make. It's something that I call assembly cooking. It's where you take pre-made ingredients and conjure something up. An example might be, you know, things like pasta. People have different kinds of pasta on hand, whether it's wheat or brown rice or any of the other grain pastas. There are many, many different kinds of pre-cooked chicken sausages out there in the world uh, that are ready to go. They store for a long time. You could get a jar of Kalamata olives, a jar of sun-dried tomatoes, maybe some frozen peas, shredded Parmesan cheese, some olive oil, maybe some Italian spices. And within the time that it takes to cook that pasta, you've got a pretty delicious vegetable, colorful meal to eat, but it's all just assembled. You didn't make any of that. And there are many, many different ways to do that. Uh, For instance, there's a butternut squash soup that you could assemble 
by using frozen butternut squash. Uh, they come in little cubes, frozen cubed butternut squash, a, a can of pear in natural juice, some chicken broth. You can even get frozen chopped onions if you didn't want to chop up an onion, but a chopped onion, dried thyme, maybe some toasted pecans. And within about 15 minutes, you can have a soup that is quite delicious. But again, you haven't you haven't tackled that butternut squash soup and peeled it and seeded it, uh, but it tastes very similar. It's quite, quite good. Um, so it, it's assembling out of ingredients that one might have in their pantry. Do you have any tips that are specifically for people who are on a budget right now? Yeah, I think that something like call a, a pandemic pantry helps with budget and with ease also. The other day I was out and I got some broccoli and just, you know, a few things. And it's like, why was that so expensive? And I looked and it's like, the broccoli was like $8. And you go, oh my goodness, that was expensive. And so using the two bags for $3.50 of frozen broccoli or frozen cauliflower or frozen peas, that can be part of your pandemic pantry, your freezer. Um, I've been fiddling around with roasting frozen vegetables to see how they could turn out. And I think I perfected it. Frozen cauliflower, for instance, you let it thaw first, uh, usually overnight, or you can rinse it with cold water and then take a, you know, cotton towel of some kind to sort of press the water out of it so they're not so wet. Put the olive oil and any kind of, you know, I like thyme, on the um, and maybe drizzle it with honey a little bit at the end, but uh, it turns out so great that to roast it on the upper third of your oven, just like you would if you had fresh cauliflower. The other thing that you know I think to have on hand would be grains, so that you can make your pot of grain. Uh, legumes are you know things like black beans and lentils and pinto beans and black-eyed peas. Uh, I just made a dish the other night with black-eyed peas and white rice and some ham that I had chopped up in the fridge from Easter. I think there was some hot sauce in there to give it some oomph, but I had all those ingredients. It was easy to make because I had the black-eyed peas. Lots of different oils, certainly flowers, herbs and spices are part of that. Nuts and seeds, I think dried fruit, Frozen fruit, canned fruit could be in that pantry. And then I'm really a very big jarred sauce person where you might buy a Thai green curry simmering sauce or a mole sauce that's already made or a pesto sauce that's already made. And, you know, just make it taste, again, sort of like the quinoa eight ways if you have plain old, same old protein, whatever that might be, and you pour an apricot chipotle sauce on it and stick it in the oven, that's going to taste different than if you put a barbecue sauce on it or a really rich mustard concoction on it. And so those sauces can be really a big deal. I always keep packets of tuna and salmon, sardines, you know, that kind of protein that you could easily pair with a can of white beans, you know, some onions, you know, caramelized onions are so delicious, you know, and, and sort of toss 
something together like that out of your out of your pantry. And then things like tortillas. You just can't go wrong with a tortilla. You know, you could stuff anything in that or a pita or sweet potatoes and carrots, you know, just those staples, you know, your butter, your eggs, your milk beverage. And you just, I think you can really make a lot of different dishes if you've got those basics. Yeah, those are some really good tips. You know, when you have things on hand, like in your freezer, you have to go to the grocery store a lot less too, which might be better for our health. Absolutely. Well, and you just, you do, you don't feel right going out so often, you know, and I've had times where I think, well, I, sh- I should swing by and he's like, no, I can just make something else. I've got other things. And I know that because I've stocked up. We got our, our batch cooking and our batch shopping. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> batch shopping. I like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you, when you're talking to people about how they're eating during this time, do you see any kind of silver lining to the situation? Is there an opportunity that we might develop some really useful eating habits as we stay home? I do think as humans, it's our nature to look for the silver lining. It's like, what could be good about this horrible thing that we're going through? And, you know, it takes some good deep thinking, but I do think that it is an opportunity to create some new habits, you know, some new ways of being that we haven't practiced before. I think it's given us a chance to to appreciate the fact that we could run out and get the cilantro for that dish and we can't right now. It wouldn't be prudent to do that. You know, so there's some gratitude that I think we'll come out of this with. I think people are cooking more together, which you just can't go wrong with that. I think cooking together is very similar to especially with children, it's similar to riding in a car with them. If you're riding in a car with a child, suddenly all these things that never would come out if you were looking at them face to face, you start talking about things when you're driving. And I think it happens when people are cooking also, because you're busy with your task and you've got this and you're chopping up that and you're opening that and you're stirring that. And suddenly those same kinds of unplanned conversations occur. And I think that's really heartwarming. I think it's also modeling behavior to the kids about what's important of being together and cooking and shopping and paying attention and saying, no, we, we, we can't have that. We don't have that right now. So what else, what else can we do? And so it's helping them be accepting of what's happening and being excited about creating something new. I love that. That's a that's a beautiful picture. And I think we're experiencing a little of that in our house too. Like you said, those organic conversations that come up when your hands are busy chopping, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> so we always like to end our podcast episodes with some concrete things that people can do right away. What are some concrete things that people can do right now to eat better for their health, you know, right after they listen to this podcast? I think you have to have some systems in place. You have to have actions that you can take. um, And it sort of circles back to that structure. It's very calming, also very helpful to know what you've got, what you could make. Does it have protein? Does it have energy? Is it got good fat? You know, is it going to be filling? Another part of my whole practice is about looking at a person in a whole kind of sense, you know, to include emotion, to include stress, to include all of those things, and not just about food and not just about 
calories or fat or those kinds of things. This is a quote that has been attributed to lots of different people. So I don't know who exactly said this, but uh, it's taking the phrase, don't just sit there, do something and turning on on its head into don't just do something, sit there. And I think this time is a great time for reflection uh, to get the systems in place to, to be able to sit there and reflect. It's ripe for creativity and nourishment. It's a very um, important time to nourish ourselves in so many different ways. So I think I'm going to think about the rhythm of my day. I'm going to think about the structure and how I planned out my day. Think about maybe where that, that big meal is going to be so I can eat it at the right time, not when I get hangry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but use that food as a foundation for how I, how I kind of structure my day and bring out some routine that ultimately helps reduce my stress too. Right. To inform your body have it behave in the way that it was designed to operate. So that brings us to our close. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I really like talking about food with you. <laughs> oh, it was a pleasure. It was good to hear you. And I hope you can enjoy the summer that's coming up. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Carolyn Denton, the big no is working with her to create a course on practical nutrition. Stay tuned for that. You can also visit her website, partnersinresilience.com, to learn more about Carolyn's work and future workshops, things such as transforming habits, mood and food, and what she calls radically sensible eating. Thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you. Look, I know what we all want. We just want to get back to normal. But we have to accept that that normal, that's over. And if we think about it, for a lot of us, normal wasn't really working in the first place. Normal is stressing us out. Normal is making us sad. Normal is making us feel sick, disconnected, and burned out. We can do way better than normal. Let's go beyond normal. Beyond Normal is a production of The Big No, where renowned experts teach the skills of health and well-being on demand. You can learn more about our licensable and custom health content solutions at thebigno.com. That's thebigkno.com. Beyond Normal is produced by Nate Madsen and Tom Godfrey. Assistant producer is TMR. Our theme music is from premiumbeat.com, and the show is edited by Damon Kaler. I'm Amy Conger, wishing you health and well-being. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.